All right, we're recording. Hello, Mark Coffin, producer hey, man. Please put on the music. Okay. You're listening to Find the Outside, the podcast. I'm Tuesday Reinhardt. And I'm Tim Merry. This week on the podcast, we have guests. Yes, we do. We do. We have three of our operations team from a project we're working on in New York City, the Ethos Project. And here in just a little bit, we're going to let you hear from the folks who are joining us with the Ethos Project. We're going to tell you a little bit about the project. We're going to tell you all the things we're learning as we've done this work. Right, and this is a real effort of ours to kind of bring you, the folks who are listening to us, not just to hear Choose and I banter back and forth every month. Which is charming. Definitely interesting. And then and then, <laughs> but actually begin to hear from some of the practitioners who are doing the work, you know. We heard from season one, that's what people love. So they, you know, we got to engage with the world of Sweden, which is doing incredible work. And we're like, oh, let's bring it into New York City. And hopefully we're going to hear from some of the other work we're doing in Europe later in the season as well. So it's just lovely to get people's voices who are kind of like leading and doing this work within their systems and organizations and to kind of speak in and be like, this is what it's really like, you know? And thank you for joining us after a long day of work. For some of you, it's the third day of work with us. Um, So we're at the end of our first day of a core team retreat and our our team here has joined us um, to share with us about their work. Right, and we were just chatting about how they might introduce themselves as we dived into dived into this session. And I was saying, well, a lot of the people who listen to our podcast are, are, are seeking to influence the systems and world around them. You know, even if they're involved in good work, they're all, they're not just going out and doing their good work every day. They're like, how do I actually impact something beyond that across my community or across the sector I'm in or the industry I work in or the places I live or the regions I live in? And so there's some kind of aspiration that pulls people into more than just the day-to-day of doing good stuff you know and it was kind of like well maybe we could hear from you about that like what is it about you and this work and how you turn up in the world that like pulls you to do more than just doing a good job you know what I mean and um and I'm gonna I'm gonna point to Zach because you're kind of on my left fine which means that (laughs) but you could also I mean I think it's I think you're ready aren't you I think I'm ready. Brilliant. So well, introduce okay. yourself and off uh, you go. Hello, everyone, wherever you may be from at this moment and listening. Uh, I'm Zachary Howard. I'm from Inglewood, New Jersey. So shout out to New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm a program assistant for the Supporting Knowledge into Practice team, also known as SKIP here at the ACS Workforce Institute. Uh, ACS stands for the Administration for Children's Services uh, within New York. And I'm here with two of my other colleagues, and they're going to introduce themselves. And we can't wait to get into this interview. Um, hi, everybody. So uh, my name is Mark Santora. Um, I'm with the Workforce Institute. I am the Communications and Quality Assurance Manager there. Uh, my background is actually in youth development and youth work. Ah. So I started um, working okay. at a community center in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. That um, was actually my work study as a student at Fordham. Um, it was my first sort of work in New York City, my mm-hmm. first work in anything outside of like small little camp programs also in New Jersey, that's where I'm from. Oh, you're from um, New Jersey too? Yep. All right. Um, Union, New Jersey. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I like it. I like the, like, I like the, I like the shout outs here. Um, so I, was, I started there as an intern. I, made, I worked my way up through the program. I ended up directing the program for about three and a half years before I came here. Um, and I needed to kind of get away from working directly with youth because it definitely gets mm-hmm. challenging and you get burned out after a while. Yeah. But I, my commitment to working for families and children just wouldn't go away. So mm. this seemed like a really good place for me to go to really impact the system versus working with families directly. Wow. Okay. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Sharika Wilson. I'm actually not from New Jersey. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, no. you? Me. I was born and raised in St. Andrew, Jamaica. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> and I came to the States for college. Um, and then while on campus, that was sort of like my first interaction with the public school system in the U.S. And it just made me very curious and wanted to know more. And so for a while, I was actually involved in college access work. So working for an organization that leveraged mentoring to help students um, make that transition. And after doing that for a while, I went back to school and then ended up at ACS where I am the program manager for the evidence-based models. And so this has been an interesting in that I'm not necessarily working directly with students and families anymore, but it gives me another lens into sort of like how we work with our families in, the, in New York. So, yeah. Great. And would one of you just say for our listeners, what is ACS Workforce Institute? We'll get into the work we're going to do, but what actually is this organization that you all work for? So, <laughs> that was a really great moment there. They all they, everybody looked at each other. Just so everyone knows it. That's what just happened. Um, so the Workforce Institute is a collaboration, actually, between this ACS, which is a city agency, and CUNY, which is the City University of New York. Um, and there's sort of two layers of that. There's CUNY School of Professional Studies and CUNY Hunter um, Hunter College. And so all of those entities kind of work together to provide training for uh, direct service staff in child welfare and juvenile justice. So we're really impacting that system. So you all provide all of the training for those workers, those folks who are going out and working with children and families and those folks in the juvenile justice system. You're training people how to do that work. Yes. It's all, a lot of it's different by borough, so the issues that people are facing in Staten Island are a little different than the issues facing Queens, and so between like the research and the data and the coaches we have out and the facilitators, uh, they help to help the uh, CPS workers, Child Protective Service workers, sorry, it's, we use a lot of acronyms, mm-hmm. um, so they help to inform them, and then we help, using that, help to better practice, so down the line. So how, how many people is that, that like essentially you'd be like ACS would be serving? Like how many kind of like practitioners would be out there in the child welfare system that ACS, the Workforce Institute, sorry, is seeking to impact or engage with? Like, and doesn't, and I'm not asking for exact numbers, but like some sense of the scope of your work. So just to kind of like put it into perspective, ACS is an agency of about 12,000 people. And we also work with um, provider agencies that also provide, that are contracted with ACS, and we work with 63 of them. And so we also, we, not not every single one of them is only child welfare oriented, child welfare oriented, but they have sections of them that are. So we're working with 63 agencies and ACS. Right, and so each of those agencies may have up to... Range. Yeah, I mean, range. combined, it could be also about the same another 12,000 people. Okay. Right. Yeah. All right. Right. So there's a significant reach and impact that this organization has into and that's, the welfare system. And, not to just, and that's the workers, right? Yes. That's not even kind of exponentializing to the families that the children workers. and the families and the right. beneficiaries so of the work. Right. About 24,000 workers that you're training that then move out into families. So quite a reach. No pressure. One of, our, one of our colleagues likes to talk about the parallel process and that what we do in training with our, with our learners, with the staff, then impacts sort of like how that translates with, to the families and how we work with our families, right? And so we really f- see it as important in terms of how we work with, whether it's our CPS workers or supervisors, to make sure that they then go to our families in a certain way. Um, yeah, I was going to say you hear a lot, you guys being working with us for the past couple of months, you hear a lot about the coach approach and using the parallel process to use that to make sure that we're not, you know, tearing people down, but we're building them up and 
working on those if people would like to call them flaws or weaknesses but you know they're never that any any missteps can always be like pivoted and we have to build upon those and make sure the families and the children are going off in a better situation one of the things that i have been so struck by in our work with you all and i think we engaged last november but really started working together in february and we're going to talk about ethos but just as an organization i've been really impressed with the um with the uh, insistence and the practice around equity, racial equity and gender equity that you all seem to have really centralized to your work. Can you talk a little bit about that? It just seems to be part and parcel. It's never been a question whether equity will be part of the work that you're doing. So I'd love to hear you talk about that a little bit. Because there are places where we have to keep putting it back on the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like we're in systems change work, but we're constantly having to keep equity on the table. Like it's something, and that, doesn't happen here like it's always on the table it's always part of the conversation we're in the only tidbit i have is that i think it's also to the everyone in our organization like workforce institute they're very consistent about like if they feel like they've said something they they might retract it for a bit and reframe it and so we make sure that we make we make sure that that's on the table like whether it be race equity anything like that we we just make sure it's consistent and you know that it's not taking out and you know you've heard uh, even in like our bigger groups, like yeah. oh, that was a nice reframe. But you know, we we make sure that we try to. <laughs> st- you want to stay staying with the language. I feel like helps, and you you push that, and it becomes like your everyday. Mm-hmm. I think even just like zooming out a little bit, something that we're pretty cognizant of is is sort of we talk about disproportionality in the child welfare system, mm-hmm. and that you know we have a disproportionate number of black and brown students, children of color who are affected, yeah. sort of, and come into contact with the system. And so as we go about like doing our jobs, regardless of like whatever part of the organization we're in, like that is something that we're constantly thinking about. Like how do we make sure that there's equity throughout our system for the families that we work with, right? But you can't give of what you don't have and so like how do you start that conversation internally what does it mean for practices to model that and so it's a conversation that we're and I'm not gonna say we always get it right sure. but it's a conversation that we have right yeah. and so whether it's space that we have that are formally dedicated to having those conversations around equity whether it shows up in terms of race in terms of gender in terms of leadership like whatever that is I think it's something that's forefront of our minds and this initiative is part of like, how do we really engage in that to move that work to that to the next level, right? Because we're thinking about sort of, how do we impact our families at the end of the day, but how do we start doing that work? Right. And I think we also just surround ourselves all the time with people who that is their work. So, I mean, we started yeah. off with, I mean, Sharika acknowledged that we know, um, you know, that there's inequity in the system. We know that there's, that that exists. And so we, we use it as a sort of springboard, I think, to kind of inform the rest of our work. So we've done things like, we have a reflective process every couple of weeks where we have a facilitator, again, who really, this is her work, who every two weeks are, is coming in and doing that work with us. We have a space to talk about this. We've done undoing racism trainings. Um, this work that we're doing with the outside is very much sort of centered around that. And for you, it seems really easy that we're doing it, but it's also been about two plus years of us kind of priming the pump to, to talk mm. about this. Mm. So one of the things that's interesting, in, in some of the early conversations we had with David, and I'm interested like how this plays out, like if I'm interested if it resonates for you, like he, he would talk about how kind of a, ACS, and I think the Workforce Institute as a whole, is positioned, right, to lead transformation across the child welfare system. It's actually like part of the mandate of the organization, 
right? It's like we've been given through the capacity building. And that capacity building is like there's 12,000 people within ACS and then you've got 63 other agencies, each of which could have up to 12,000 people in them. So we're talking like, not 24,000, we're talking like, is that, I mean, up to, right? No, so it would be like all of them combined. All of them, so there's like 24,000 people that you're reaching out to through capacity building. Like, I kind of want to be like, so where are you at with that? Like if the mandate is like systems change through capacity building, like, How's that going? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, and we'll get into that. It's not a loaded question at all, Tim. <laughs> Your boss said you're doing this. Yeah. Now, you are. Well, I mean, and, and it's not like, it's not like, not to tear it apart. I mean, obviously, and you talked about like equity throughout the system is the name of the initiative we're in, right? It's ethos. Like, that's the, you know, there was a good debate about it. We had choices and we ended up going for that one. And, and so we're talking about equity throughout our system. And that's not just our system here. Right, or even our agency, we're talking about equity throughout the system as a whole. And so there's a piece, and, and like, I don't expect there to be systems change within three years that you've been around, or within the, I don't know, seven months or six months we've, we've been around, or the next 12 months that we're gonna be working together and launching prototypes. But there's a piece of me of like, all right, so how's that feel to be like tackling or taking on something of that scale as individuals, having been given a mandate like that, which so many people in the world dream of, I wish my organization was given the mandate for systems transformation. You know, here I am a single actor trying to get it done. If only I had the mandate. Here you are having the mandate. You know, in many ways, it's like, I bet a lot of people who are listening are like, I wish my organization had that mandate. Do you know what I mean? Like, what's that, what's it like to have that mandate and that scope and actually try to get to work around it? That's a lot. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, yeah. no, it's good though. I think um, I think it starts with, like I said, we have really passionate people that this is like their life's work, right? Yeah. And so that's a really good starting point yeah. for us because it's this is not just a job for most people, right? This is really like what they want to do with their lives. And so I think that makes it easier on one end. Um, but I think, I think it also makes it harder because there's so many different directions that it can go in, right? And so we also, because we're sort of three different entities working together as one, right, there's so many things, that, so many hoops that we have to jump through to just to make things work. Um, and so there's like so much passion, but then there's also like, how do you put a process to that? Yeah. And that's always been really, that's been the thing I think that's been the most difficult for us because there's just so many ways to do it. Um, but none of us kind of ever get lost in the what we're doing, right? I think mm. we always kind of keep that as the work that we do directly impacts lives, right? right. Um, and so I think that's partly why the passion kind of really runs that. Yeah, and just speaking of passion, we just recently had our fiscal year retreat and where they kind of, re, uh, they show, they displayed the numbers of how many trainings we had and how many like learners we were able to affect. And no, I wish I knew them off the bat, but I do not. That's Unfortunately, okay. if you guys know, if that would be great if you could chime in. But uh, for me, like coming in, this would be July was just my first year at the organization. And honestly, I struggled a bit not being like closer to the families, like direct. Yeah, and then ha coming to the fiscal year retreat and seeing the numbers of like, we were able to affect this many learners, which means we were able to affect this many families, knowing that it was more on a macro level. I think just makes it it's easier for I don't know for a lot of us who have the passion for it it makes it easier to wake up in the morning to like do the work and knowing that you're helping on such a large scale mm. so being like I remember like applying to the job and like reading the description I'm like wow like they're like this is some crazy work that they're doing and 
just being able to meet everyone and seeing how driven everybody is and knowing that we can reach so many people even from just we're at a central location but we have our arms stretched so far and we're doing a lot of good work and it's going to take times and there's going to there's going to be trips and falls but from what we've seen in the organization and the work that we're doing now you know we're, we're you, you can trip to get back up and you know yeah. make it work and nice. that's what we've been doing which i think is just phenomenal nice nice uh something you said just resonated i mean i think it is harder for me to be removed i feel like you know removed from the families i actually didn't think about the magnitude of what we're doing until you put it into words tim uh but i think i think something the organization tries to do um is just in terms of whatever your role is regardless of what your role is trying to connect that back sort of like to the bigger impact and so i look at it as sort of like how do i do what i can do within my role like what is my sphere of influence right Mm -hmm. and so there are times that i have missteps but like i interface a lot of times are provider agencies and so for me it's like yes i need this information yes i need this data whatever it is but I'm connecting with a human being at the other end of the line, and so mm-hmm. just keeping that center, the relationship piece center, and then this human being is then going to talk to her family, sort of like people that we're working with. So just thinking about sort of like the ripple effects of the work, of the work that we do. Um, I also think sort of like as the Workforce Institute within ACS, we are sort of uniquely set up just based mm-hmm. on sort of how we're, you know, the, our composition. And so that means that we have a little bit more latitude to try things, but because we're you know, we're continu- doing continuous development and learning, we then can impact staff who will then work with families. So it's the ripple effect and it's sort of what is your sphere of control and how do you do the best that you can within that sphere? How do you sort of live live what it is that we're mm-hmm. teaching and training on? It reminds me of um, one of the things that I do is a sort of monthly newsletter. In this past newsletter, we really focus on our facilitators and kind of getting out their perspective of the work because they're the ones who are really working directly with right. the direct service staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them said something that really stuck with me. Um, we have a, we run a course on intimate partner violence. Mm-hmm. And um, his sort of takeaway was, if he does a good job teaching that, he can really save a life. Yeah. Right? Um, and so reading that is like, whoa, this is what we do. Um, right. And we sometimes can get a little bit bogged down in like the process, but mm. then taking ourselves out of that and seeing how what our end product does can change lives is really puts things into perspective. Nice. And just to echo something that you said earlier, Tim, about just like how long systems change take. Like I think we like we have sort of like the vision, the idea, but it's the culture piece and the system piece like obviously takes more work and takes more effort, which is why we're all here and sort of rolling up our sleeves. But I don't want to give the impression that we've like we all woke up and we're like, okay, great, we're doing this really well. Like, it is, it's, it's work, right? And yeah. it's, it's, it's it making that work. commitment to that work every single day, and we're still learning. I think that's so important because often, um, I mean, you all as an organization get, as I understand it, kind of a lot of kudos, have a very nice reputation for doing great work. And it's worth knowing that because sometimes when we're in system change work, it can feel sloggy, it can feel hard. And even like the, the bright stars of systems change, it's like, Oh, right, yes, and as we even get bogged down. So I think it's actually just really useful to hear. You know, I always give the example, I, years past I worked with a homeless system that was kind of considered the best in the country. And no one in that system was like, we are kicking butt. You know what I mean? Like, they just were like, this is hard work. It's like truly hard work, and we show up and we do it every day, and it's great to be the best or be really good at what we do. And it doesn't take away from the fact that it is hard work, and sometimes from the inside, it doesn't feel all bright and shiny. 
I want us to talk about ethos, the, the work we're here to do together, which was just recently named, yay. <laughs> um, and ethos stands for equity throughout our systems. And so we want to bring you all into that project and talking about that specifically and the work that you're doing with the outside. Tim, how might you describe ethos and then we'll... Oh. Well, I kind of liked what you were saying about that piece. Like what, we're, like, we're kind of actually clear on the mission. And we're clear on the fact we need to center equity in the work. But the piece we've been struggling with is what's the process we can put underneath to kind of like amplify and accelerate and move that and keep getting unstuck, Sharika, a little bit to what you were talking about. Like to keep, like we're going to get stuck and we're going to trip, but how do we keep getting unstuck and keep moving? So I hope, I hope what we're doing through ESOS and through the kind of uh, the content that we're developing and the data we're generating, as well as the kind of approach we're training is beginning to put in place like a process, an approach, a way of thinking that allows us to keep moving towards systemic change, you know? And I feel like there is a piece for me, like this first period is a lot about getting the Workforce Institute like equipped in terms of approach and skills and expanded skill set to then be able to go out and make significant interventions, further interventions across the system as a whole. And so that's how I'm thinking about where we're at at the moment. How does that land with you? So far, so good. All right. <laughs> well, what do you all tell the folks who aren't in the core team? What is the Ethos project? What is it that we're up to? Yeah. Aha, uh-huh, I know. Uh-huh. Look at that. <laughs> Can I let Mr. Communication start? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, so um, I'm gonna start this. Um, actually, I was so, you mentioned earlier that we've. I've, I've, this is my third day in training with you, and so earlier, um, yesterday, I think Tuesday, you said something that I wrote down. And I've been thinking about um, was that coming home is often the hardest place to hard. Coming home is often the hardest place, hardest thing to do, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's that's true for us, right? Like we are all really good at knowing this is what's wrong here, this is what's wrong here, this is what's wrong here, mm-hmm. and we couldn't necessarily figure out how to bring it back to us. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of where this initiative started. Like, how do we really set up a system and a structure that we can then push out? Um, and if we don't have the system ourselves, how do we then tell other people how to do it? Um, and I think we really wanted to not just tell them, but show them and model right. it. Right. And I think we just couldn't figure out how to do that. Um, right. Because again, there's so many voices and so many people that have so much passion around how to do it. And we all have the answers, but yes. my answer's better than yours and your answer's better than mine. And like, how do we then take that and make it all true and make it move? When, when like some of my coworkers have asked like, oh, what's like, who's the outside? What do they do? Um, and I feel like one of my, like the way I described it was just, they seem to come in when organizations are possibly having a rough time or not even so, but they want they want to change, a system change as they've been talking. The listeners know this is what these beautiful people here do. Um, and at that point, they help organizations kind of pinpoint those issues or problems or whatever it may be, and then get everybody on the same like get everybody on the same playing ground so that we can nip those problems in the bud or take like take those problems and move them to something that's successful or just make some kind of like make some kind of pathway and like in some big brush that was there because even when we initially started with them, it was it was very like there's no prescri- I think a lot of people are used to prescribed. Like answers when it comes to organizations being like asking someone for help and be like oh yeah you guys just hold the meeting here hold the meeting there do this in a couple months it'll be fine but with this it was just like you guys look delve deep into what's going on in the organization let's get a couple of perspectives 
let's see where people's heads are at and let's try to move in those directions. And if that, you know, if going right wasn't the way, let's try to go left and we'll see, you know, we'll see what's there. And uh, I know I just like yeah. I just appreciate it because I feel yeah. like a lot of things people people are very comfortable in the prescribed and sometimes that's not necessary. And I think it's been fun to work with you guys to see like everyone's, you know, we've taken the perspectives of it's hard to get 30 people to talk, you know, and then on the same plateau and even share their ideas, not not arguing because none of the arguments are aggressive. They're all constructive. And I think basically putting everybody on a constructive plateau to move forward. Yeah. Sorry for that. But, yeah. no, that's great. great. Yeah. That's fantastic. I used to tell people it was about participatory leadership and participatory change in culture, um, which gave me more blank stares. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? So what does that mean? Yeah. As I think about it and sort of like listening to what Zach was saying too, I think the Ethos Initiative has given us the permission to take the steps and make the changes that we need to to actually make sure that our walk matches our talk, right? Mm. And so yeah. like we've been having these conversations, we know that there are things that need to change, but this is giving us the permission to, because as Zach said, like you're guiding us through a process, but you are, you're giving out your expertise on the process, but you're not giving us sort of like anything in terms of like what we're doing. Like you're, you're right. guiding us, you're right. guiding us through like figuring out those answers. Yeah. And it's been a really interesting, sometimes challenging process and road to be on, but it's given us permission to sort of like seek those answers. So I've been grateful to be a part of the process. There's also just like an element of slowing us down yeah. mm. that I think is really important. And I've noticed that over the last two days too, like you frame the first days, we're really gonna take this slow. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the thing that we also don't do well. Everything is results, results, drive, drive, drive. Mm. And this is the kind of thing that is making us practice not moving so fast and being more thoughtful around things that we're doing. Um, because that's also been, again, in, in sort of an outcome-driven environment. You're, we're not taking the time to think about things in the way that we should. Um, and this is kind of giving us a platform and giving us space to do it. And it's also feeding into like everyone's psychological safety in doing that. Because mm. um, that's also a thing that comes up a lot. People are not always feeling safe and giving their ideas. And this is really a good place to do it. Mm -hmm. I want to I pull out that safety piece you just talked about. You all just said so much, um, but I want to because the folks that are listening, I think, are concerned with how to make spaces safe enough that people actually can do the work, right? Um, and so we had a, a, a moment with the leadership teams. We were with the leadership team for two days before today when we actually had them doing a walk where their eyes were closed, right? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, we did some blind leading where yeah. they led each other around and the room. It's, it's quite a vulnerable space, mm -hmm. right? Your eyes are closed, someone's leading you just by a fingertip, and you could bump people, people did bump people, right? And um, there was an amount of trust that was needed. And um, what came out was someone said, oh, I, I just felt safe because I was with, and I, I don't remember, I was with this person, right? And the idea, I mean, that I really wanted to highlight there was actually the environment there, we didn't do all the things we might normally do to make a safe environment, right? We didn't like cordon off things. We didn't, you know, like have a bunch of rules about what you could or couldn't do. People found their safety with each other. It was about the relationship that's where they found their safety rather than kind of setting a bunch of conditions to make everything so safe. And it felt like a really good learning moment because often when we talk about psychological safety, we have kind of like, oh, we should set in a bunch of rules or we should just make it so no one could ever get hurt in this environment and we decrease risk, right? And we kind of stagnate. But instead, in that moment, we found that our safety was actually with each other. The environment, the conditions weren't especially safe, frankly, but where we could find our safety was with each other. And I feel like that has been 
it's a really important lesson in safety, but it's also something you all bring to each other. That's where I see your group finding safety. That's why you can have these conversations because you're moving into relationship with each other, right? Learning, like you said, Zach, like we can argue and it's actually okay. We can have different points of view. No one's gonna, you know, like no one's gonna fall over dead. I'm not saying your workplace is entirely safe. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just suggesting that what I think I've seen over the past is like a, a more of a sense of safety together than perhaps when we started. And I'm curious if you all had any thoughts about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, like I said, we have multiple venues for this too. So we're meeting a lot, um, particularly with the leadership team. Um, we have our own sort of reflective process every other Thursday. Um, so I, over the course of the two or so years that I've been in that group, there's been tremendous movement from mm. like where we started to where we are now. And it's not always movement as in like we're talking about deeper things but are just we're having more fun like before the session starts yeah. we're laughing with each other that wasn't happening when I first started there a year mm. or so or two years ago um and so like I see it in like the little things right and like the sort of little tiny passing by like we're smiling at each <laughs> other we're laughing at each mm. other we're telling jokes we know what each other did over the weekend and we're asking about it um, so it's not always just like the big things, it's a lot of just being in a space together where we can really conquer the smaller ones to be safe around each other. You made me laugh because I was thinking we were working in a group earlier and one of my colleagues in the op operations team was like, I know you're thinking about something, you have a mm -hmm. tell. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I laugh because I, I never thought about it, like I know I'm, my face seems pretty expressive, but it's like you breathe extra hard when <laughs> you have a thought. Right. So it's just really funny that we've just spent so much time together that we we pick up on little things about each other and we've built relationships. I think part of what I've appreciated about what the work that you have done with us is um, in this space, we are all sort of, one, we all have to buy into the process, right? Like we're all coming to learn and we all have to do the work. It doesn't work if you're trying to, to sort of stand on the outside and look in, like you have to get in the mix with everybody. So we're all sort of, we don't really know where we're going, but we have to commit to the same level of vulnerability. And because everybody is has been willing to do that, it makes a difference in terms of being able to build relationship and build trust. Mm -hmm. and I think the other piece is no one knows what the answer is, right? And mm -hmm. so it's not like anybody from the organization is coming in with like, I have this ton of expertise. People are coming in definitely with experience and skills, and we're lending that to each other in this space, but it's not like Mark has the answer. so. I'm gonna, if we're in, mm -hmm. in, in the space of something that you know, we're not sure, we're gonna defer to Mark. Like we're all figuring this out together and I think it's been in those moments that the relationships have been developing and the trust has been building. So I think like, that's what I've appreciated about the process that we've been through. Nice. And I, I think when it just comes to safety, just to piggyback off Mark, uh, yeah, between like reflective process, open space, um, a lot of those, a lot of those things were already in place for like safety per se. But in certain situations, people didn't feel safe in them. And I feel like in the past couple of months, with everyone becoming, you know, coworkers and friends, because that's important as you work, because it makes it a little easier. Um, I think we have become a little bit more safe. And I, I did. I really love that um, the leading exercise, like the blind leading exercise. Mm -hmm. It's very fun. Um, but I think in that, just like the giggling in between like you know leadership and people under them and you know vice versa i think those are those are just genuine moments that help the work move forward because you know at that point it's just not you know it's not the typing it's not just the filling in the blanks and it's not just the writing up of reports and stuff like that it's it's or it's organic and that's what we need and i think we needed that time to like slow down to have those moments mm -hmm. because you know some 
it's and yes, it's okay to rush sometimes to get the work done. Yeah. But then if you rush, you you're gonna be you're gonna be you know you're like blind running. You're not gonna have those moments. And how can my coworkers feel safe if I didn't know like Mark or Shrika had a rough weekend, but I'm still trying to push them to do the work to go faster? Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. makes no sense at that point. Then you know it's it's it degrades the quality of the work. You know, and if we can feel safe with each other to check in or just be like, you know, today is not my day, you know, and them understand that, especially them knowing maybe how you carry yourself on the daily that that helps, you know, like, all right, you know, we know that, all right, like they're there today, you know, they're there mentally right now, but, you know, let's just leave them out of it to a degree as we work, you know, just so, you know. Because you care, more or less, you know, mm-hmm. because we care for each other. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. been really great at making sure that we keep that central to how we work together. I just wanted to shout that yeah. out. Nice. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's important. Uh, it's like a weird thing of mine. It was like a teacher I had like a long time ago. They were just like, you know how many people go through the day without like being asked how they're doing? Mm. And like just one, like once, a, like once a day, it, it'll be like, it's, it's okay. Like just ask somebody and listen. Because a lot of people, especially in the city, because everyone's very individualistic. How you doing? And they and they go. They don't really listen, but I feel like you should listen because if if we like if I knew or we knew, however you want to contextualize it, it can make working and us melding into each other a little bit like mm-hmm. a little little easier. Like m- me getting asked to work with the operations team, you know, I was nervous. I was like, oh my god, I'm working with like leadership and all these other people that I know, like. You know, and I'm just like, man, this is like bureaucracy. This is gonna be like a little crazy. But then as <laughs> as we got into it and like. Maybe maybe I'm just too friendly, you know, maybe I'm just too friendly, but I'd rather I think we can work better if everyone's in the best mindset. Mm-hmm. And then if we're not, you need a, you need some time off. All right. We can we can pick up your slack because that's one. That's what coworkers do for each other. And that's what friends do for each other. And we've all got the same passion for the work. So yeah. might as well like keep each other in check and also check each other if, if necessary. But not like I said, not in that aggressive manner, but in constructive like, oh, I like where you said, like, oh, I like what you said there. But how about we look at it like this or oh, your point is completely valid, you know, and, mm-hmm. and we, we've done a great job, I think, at working, working off of each other in, in that and, you know, being each other's like backbone and balancing boards. And yeah, so, it, you know, just hearing you speak, hearing all of you speak, actually, it always blows me away how like, you know, we talk about systems change work to use and it's often really big, the kind of things we're tackling, like mm-hmm. they're audacious. This is like groups of very passionate human beings saying like, right, we're going to go for this. We're like status quo is not sufficient right for many reasons and we're going to go for it you know and you have these like and it feels overwhelming and it's like oh what are we doing what are we doing you know that kind of happens and then in many levels like it often actually comes down to personally like how i'm turning up and like how i'm relating to you in the room with me that some of the most significant and transformative moments happen between two individuals but somehow that ends up changing the culture of the initiative as a whole, which then ends up impacting the future of a system. Like, like in some incredibly weird way, like actually the interaction, the quality and depth and beauty and kindness and challenge and provocation that happens between the individuals in some ways really truly begins to set the pattern for what the system might become. Like, we, you know, the, I think you've all kind of said this thing of like matching our, our rhetoric with our action, like, and, but truly beginning to behave how we would like the system to behave. Mm-hmm. Like how, I just think, I don't know, just, I'm just kind of is striking me on that and thinking about so many other situations mm-hmm. we've been in where mm-hmm. that level of personal interaction, that coming back to 
How I turn up is what I give permission for. How I relate to others sets the pattern for the system we're trying to create. How powerful that is and how within that, how within our control that makes it. Right. How within our influence that makes it, you know, when so often it can seem completely overwhelming what we're trying to tackle, you know? Absolutely. I know we need to be wrapping up, but I thought I have one more question. Okay. Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, part of part of why we do this podcast is that we can be really explicit about our learning, like we can share what we're learning with people. And so I would just love for you to share kind of something you really learned through the Ethos Project um, so that you can share that learning with our listeners because you're right in the midst of systems change that has equity in the center. So what are you learning? Because I know they'd love to know. And, and think about, just to buy you a bit more time, as you all look, <laughs> as you all look very pensively, you know, but, but think about that also, like many of the people listening are involved in systems change. Yeah. Work. They're right in the midst of it, or they're considering launching really significant projects, or in that launch phase, you know, or they're getting to the point of trying to make sense of it all and really implement. And so just, you know, like, what are you learning? But being in the middle of it, in the midst of it all, is there advice you'd give people? that really arises out of what you've been learning is that, you know, you're, we're like, you know, we've been going at this really since January this year. You're, you're into it. What's the advice you'd give people based upon what you're learning? So I think for me, I think it's be nice to yourself and mm. be nice to each other. Um, wow. <laughs> it's really kind of that nice. simple, but um, it gets hard and it's not always easy. And I think we tend to be comfortable in things being clear and concise and not so comfortable in things being really messy but you can't really reorganize things unless you mess them up first right. Um, right. and so being mindful of how everyone takes that in and then figuring out number one how do I care for myself in this because mm -hmm. I might not be doing well right now and I, don't, I need to communicate that or mm -hmm. I need to take a step back or whatever that is for any individual um, and then also noticing each other, right? Mm -hmm. Like we talked about that before, Sharika mentioned, someone said you have a tell, right? Mm -hmm. That's from months of working together. We can care for each other in that mm -hmm. way because we know that this is gonna get hard for all of us mm -hmm. at any given point. Um, not just the work itself, but life, right? And so like, mm -hmm. how do you care for each other through all of that? Um, and so I think that's been a really good starting point is to kind of take away, to take away some of the, the personal ...ness of it, right? And just kind of like, what is what does it mean for all of us to do this together? And just care for each other in the process. Great. I, I guess I would say um, be patient. Be okay with the questions. It's okay for the questions to lead to deeper learning. And trust that through the process you'll find the answers. It might be answers that you thought you were going to find. But um, just, just, I think, trust the process, which sounds very cliche. Um, the relationships are important and then something that I think has been top of mind for us and that we continue to talk about is as you're going through the work and as you're getting excited about the work there are people who are, might not be as intimately involved in the work so make sure that you continue to not stop the work with your teams but bring that work back out to your larger organization nice. or group so nice great um, for me what I think I learned is just it's okay to be uncomfortable, like in certain situations, like, yeah. um, and it was something you said before about like leaning in when you're uncomfortable. And I feel like there's been a lot of topics and I like to read the room sometimes and I can see when people like, you know, if something said and learning that it's okay to sit, you know, uncomfortable in some of that sometimes, but to think about it and, you know, why people may have that perspective 
about it or even for yourself because one perspective is important but learning you know being positive all the time is great but sometimes sitting with that negativity to more or less understand it is really important um and yeah just lean, lean into that like uncomfort sometimes but take that with a grain of salt not with every situation <laughs> we contextualize that real quick but yeah but more you know more or less when we're talking about system change work or working in bigger groups and if a colleague or a friend says something you you know that might not sit well with you or or that's just not you know that's just not how you see things or perceive things you know that's their world and we've talked about a lot in this project that we live in multiple realities and just because you don't understand someone's day-to-day -day or how they're living their life doesn't mean that it's not valid but also being comfortable in how uncomfortable that situation might be for them and sitting and almost stewing in that so that you can like open your mind and think about it a little bit more to give you a better perspective of that to help either push the project or push something else. You know. Great. Thank you all so thank much. You, you. It's just wonderful to have you on with us. Now we finish every podcast by asking, um, uh, for a song and a poem, because Tim and I both really love music. It, it shifts our energy and shifts our days. And of course, we both um, write and love poetry. So, Zach, I think you have a song for us. What song might you recommend to our listeners? So, Tim and Tuesday are really great people. And <laughs> besides uh, doing uh, like social work and community advocacy, um, on the side, I play in a band. Um, and I love love all my guys. Uh, we're, we're called Ocean of Illusions. We're from New Jersey. Uh, we are technically a metal band, people, uh, death metal, death core, hardcore, if you're into any of that stuff. Uh, the song that I'm going to be passing it on to them is called Paradigm of Lies. Uh, the song circulates itself more or less around the miseducation of the, the nation and internationally as well. Ways that history have been written and told either by the side of the winner when it's not proper and how we educate how we educate share culture and unfortunately how sometimes things are known to be true for so for so long and then you know some a new book pops up to tell you like this has all been fake yeah this has right. all been fake <laughs> right but unfortunately so many people have been educated for years on certain topics and then now we've got confused people and you know so uh yeah it's called paradigm of lies more or less about you know shifting i guess you could say an educational structure or destructive how we teach teach everyone and how we share culture and it's heavy but it's also deep and i think that's where it should be you should be able to bang your head but also learn a lesson at the same time and um, um i hope i hope you guys like it many many people it might not be their uh their you know their cup of tea but i promise you'll like it and if you look up the lyrics they're all online um, I think you'd like what I'm saying if you could understand it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's playing right now. when you told us about death metal mm -hmm. when you told us about your band, and I was like you're so laid back like it's just an amazing and you're like maybe this is why I can stay laid back yeah my mom calls it my dyadic self <laughs> like <laughs> like one one side of me is this and then stage is a whole different like it's a whole different 
thing for me. I don't know. It's very people use the word cathartic, but mm -hmm. but it, it's I don't know. It's been a place for me to write, especially about topics I think that are important. Mm -hmm. And I feel like just metal for a while. A lot of the like sometimes I just I've gotten bored with like corny lyricism. Yeah. So I just always wanted to make sure it's like heavy. People can relate to it if they like that music. And it's just something you can like riff to and groove to. And um, I think you'll like the whole band just besides myself. Um, shout out to all my guys, the guitar guitarist, drummer, everybody. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate Tim and Tuesday for putting me on their podcast. Thank you. <laughs> and we have a poem which has been selected by Sharika and is going to be read by Mark. So Sharika, do you want to give us a little bit of context to the poem? <laughs> or why you chose this one? Why did you choose this poem? Well, I just, <laughs> I was initially going to share something by Louise Bennett Coverley, who is a Jamaican poet, the late Louise Bennett Coverley, who's a Jamaican playwright, poet, folklorist, and did a lot just for elevating Patwa um, on the national stage, and international stage, actually. But I'm actually going to have Mark read a different poem. Um, this one's going to be by Langston Hughes. Um, he's talking about what happens to a dream deferred. And I think just in sort of like talking about us just getting things done and getting things moving, um, one of you said today something about we just need to start, <laughs> right? We just need to take action. And so I think this is just, um, what is the right word? Just a warning of like what happens when you don't take action, mm. right? So I think this probably fits more in line with um, sort of what we're talking about. But if you do have a chance, look up Miss Lou. She is a national treasure for Jamaica and her, she makes you come alive with her language. So yeah. Thank you. Just to say, Sharika is very often the one of us on the operations team that does spring us into action. So I think ah. this is very much in her wheelhouse to bring it here. <laughs> nice. Um, so I will read this. Um, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just, maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? Thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's a really good play, Raisin in the Sun. Yeah, it's yes. a great play. It's a great play. Well, that's it from this episode of Find the Outside the Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. New episodes of the podcast are available every second Tuesday. Yep. If you'd like to get in touch with us, <laughs> something about something you heard on the show, you can reach us at, reach us at uh, podcast at findtheoutside.com. You can find links to any of the resources, poems, books, songs we mentioned during the show and the show notes for this episode over at findtheoutside.com slash podcast or in the description for the podcast or the podcast app you're listening to us on. You can find the song we played in today's show. All right. Uh, Spotify, iTunes, the whole nine. Guys. Brilliant. And every song we've played on previous shows on the playlist we've created on Spotify. So Zach's song will be on there. Just search for Find the Outside on Spotify playlists or you can find the link over at findtheoutside.com backslash podcast. This episode is edited and produced by Mark Hoffman at Sound Good Studio. Thanks, theme, Mark. Theme music for Find the Outside podcast and all the interlude stuff is by the illustrious Gary Blake. Thanks, Gary. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.